Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. In this episode, we discuss our expiration, but more specifically, the physical degradation that can occur and the ways in which we can be of service to those whom are going through that process in the ways in which we know how. This life is finite, these bones hollow, and our flesh mortal. We highlight the raw experiences of this process with our loved ones and bring to light the everyday heroism of those who aid in the most unique experience of our lifetime. The end. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. <sighs> Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow GNTers, those of us like our spirituality with a twist. So we are in this series of episodes. We had someone who had a, like a personal loss a death within our Jin and Tantra community and sort of as in a recognition of that we've been trying to do these episodes that have to deal with that experience kind of a little special sequence and you know we were going to go in other directions but we wanted to take the time to do this now and um we're going to do kind of like probably a little shorter episode here uh this week just because of our time constraints you know and it actually does go to the issue of what we've been talking about because i have a family member who's sick and i was just visiting them and they're probably going through the last of their experiences so we were just going to do like another kind of backup to our last episode, just kind of talking about this a little bit more, kind of freestyle it out. And then we'll probably get back to the whole idea of talking about the Tibetan Book of the Dead and the Bardo, the in-between next week. So that's kind of what we have on the agenda for people who are paying attention to these episodes. <laughs> but uh, otherwise- For the, for the you few, know, the strong, the 100,000 remaining. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the deeply spiritual and deeply quirky. <laughs> Um, anyways, I, you know, the reason why we wanted to do it was just maybe to talk a little bit more of the experience of this. I was thinking as I was driving back from my sick relative and Daniel was waiting on this to start up, just that, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen sometimes when we start recording. And last episode we recorded, I ended up talking about kind of about the passing of my grandpa. And I wasn't really thinking about I was going to talk about that before we went in, but it just was one of those things that you make that decision like in the moment, the immediate editorial spontaneous choice. And so I kind of made that choice, like, oh, I should, like, should I talk about this? Should I not talk about this? And I realized, well, I am going to talk about this. And um, I wanted to just like say why, <laughs> just for a second or two. Um, I hadn't really thought it through ahead of time. I mean, I knew some of the reasons why, but there was a very particular set of reasons why, which part of it was just was because it was such an intense experience. It was probably one of my most intense experiences of losing someone close to me, you know, and really being there in the immediate, I wanted to. I wanted to talk about it because I was trying to get to the idea of other people who might have had those kinds of same intense experiences with loved ones. So, you know, we were kind of sitting talking, Daniel, and I was like, well, okay, I, I think I am going to talk about this, even though, though it wasn't something I was thinking about mm -hmm. because it was intense. And it was sort of, I think what we try to do 
in the work that we're doing here is to share things that are kind of personal and share things that are sometimes kind of intense, just to give a shout out to other people who have maybe been through those kinds of intense experiences too. So, I mean, that's what in the moment I was like, that was going through my head. Like, do I want to talk about this or not? And decided that I, I did. And really it was because it was my first experience as a teenager, kind of like watching death happen. And like I had had my dog die when I was younger. I had this dog, Miggles the dog, and very cute dog. And I remember my parents told me that, you know, the dog was sick. We were all sitting around the dining room table. And they told me, and I can remember just like bursting into tears, you know, just like so devastated. But that was, you know, like an intense experience for me. Um, but, uh, you know, like at a remove, it wasn't like I was, you know, there in the immediate. So I wanted to just, you know, talk about the immediacy of that experience, you know, and the first time you really see that for other people who've seen that kind of close. So that was mm -hmm. the reason I did it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like an intense experience. You know, uh, my grandma wasn't around. And so I was the one who was sort of taking care. And the other thing I wanted to say about it was just, you know, like those intensities of those moments are so strong. You know, there's a, you know, obviously a bunch of psych research and that's, you know, part of our interest, you know, my uh, undergrad background and things, you know, that, you know, when you have emotionally intense experiences, they lock into the memory, like really mm. strong. So I can mm -hmm. remember like very vividly, I was trying to put the time sequence in my mind afterwards. And I like, I couldn't get the time sequence exactly right, but I could remember these intense moments, you know? So I was like sitting vigil and it was probably analogous to like, an early version of doing a Zen retreat or something. It wasn't like counting my own breath. I was counting the breath of this other person. And like very focused, you know, I was just watching my grandpa breathe like the whole night just to make sure it never stopped. And I was like, a, it was in my teens and I was like actually sick myself. I had a lot of health problems when I was a teen, but I like had that like sort of the exercising that kind of will that happens under those kinds of circumstances, which I'm sure a lot of people who are watching and listening can relate to. And so I was just watching and it was like counting someone else's breaths almost, you know, just watching. I think I, in my recollection, I think I watched every breath like the whole night. And in my mind, I was just thinking, okay, I don't want him to pass because my grandma's in California. She isn't even here to see him. I thought this is terrible. So I was trying to do something, you know, mm. yeah, that kind of thing. And I guess in a way, again, for listeners, I was thinking, well, that's kind of what happens sometimes in these situations. You find kind of like an inner reserve within yourself. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of a, everyday heroism or something like that in a way too, you know? And, um, and the other like specific memories is I had helped him to the bathroom, which I think was mortifying for him. You know, he had to be helped to the bathroom, you know? And I had that, done that one time successfully, but I think what had happened was he had had like this big glob of fluid in his mouth, like, you know, sputum, spit. And it like, just came out spontaneously and clonked onto my hand. Ooh. And I remember he looked at me like just mortified, like it was so embarrassing for him, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, and I kind of like continued to do the thing. So I, I guess I'm just sharing those kinds of moments because we'll see loved ones in these situations where mm -hmm. they're just, you can tell it's mortifying for them that they yeah. can't do what they want to do. With my sick relative that I, I'm taking kind of partial care of now, I was just, you know, doing that. I like I had to ins inspect his ass for like bed sores and you could tell he was just like, oh. You know, but I had to do it. You we know, should, so have put a, should have put a uh, the, a disclaimer before the beginning of this episode. That it might be uh, offensive stories. You know, <laughs> what's it like? I mean, to be honest, I had to like uh, uh, 
it's Jin and Tantra. So I had to like, uh, you know, see his junk too. And I was like, I, oh, yeah. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid in the shower when he would take me to the swing pool at like, you know, whatever. I was right, like, oh, right. God. But you could tell he was just, you know, he's more out of it, but you could tell it was like, it was, you know, hard. So those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And then I think like, I was thinking about it too, because I, like the next time I was trying to help my grandpa to the bathroom, I was a teen, when I was a teenager doing this, I was like holding him and walking him. So I was like propping him in my arms, like under like sort of his armpits. And we were walking together with him in front of me and uh, he just collapsed suddenly. And it was like, I think one of the few times in my life where I just let out like an involuntary kind of like scream or something, you know, it was so shocking to me. He just completely collapsed to just like right to the floor. And I just yelled, you know, and like, in some way that like, I don't remember ever doing that in my life at any other time, maybe, I mean, maybe I have or something, but it was just like this spontaneous thing. There was no, you know, cognitive thing beforehand. It just immediately came out. And it kind of happened that when he was like, actually in the last moments when I saw him, which I was trying to describe last week, we were in kind of the emergency room. He was already like not in the waiting area. He was in right away. And that was the moment when whatever happened he had kind of like a stroke but probably also like some kind of like bursting of blood vessels that were like you know lower down in the body because this long kind of snake of blood came out and i wasn't sure if i wanted to talk about that last week but then i was thinking well other people i maybe who are listening have seen things like this so mm-hmm. i thought okay i'll talk about it and i remember it kind of ran out of his mouth and then like kind of down the side of the you know the exam table betty was on and like it was almost going to like hit me in the shoe and i can remember kind of like flinching back but it was in the moments right after he said, like, I love you. And we had kind of like, you know, he was violent when I was young. We had, you know, he's one of the people who kind of physically abused me. When I was young. I think that was watering the bridge in some ways from my, like, from my point of view at that time. But, you know, again, I think for people who've been through these intense experiences and probably also intense experiences with people who they've had difficult relationships with. Mm. So I, I, and I was thinking about these things, you know, since we had the episode last week and I was thinking about specifically driving around and I thought, well, okay those are things worthwhile talking about because I'm sure, you know, we have lots of people who have been through these things, intense experiences of someone passing. Mm-hmm. And then also like, you know, the fact that it's people that you didn't have easy relationships with who mm. passed, but you're still there in those last moments with them. And it, like, I think it did mean a lot. He said, I love you. And then, you know, then he did have the stroke and his face kind of disappeared, you know, in that way that people will, he was just gone you know uh still alive but you know whatever there was of him just disappeared like in a second and i and i screamed i think you know like i saw the blood coming out i kind of compared it to like the dark mark thing if you know the harry potter movies it really was kind of like that and i was like i, mean, I think i just it was like an involuntary thing so rare to like for me i can't remember other times i've done that but what stands out eric for me is the um it's like the intense physical things that he was going through at that time that you were you know you had privy to see now you know both you and i work on patients so we we're kind of in this discuss and a lot of our audience is treating patients in some way shape or form you know um but there's some kind of like rawness when people are at the you know at their more ending stages either they don't have the the kind of like i don't know concern to hide things from people or they just simply cannot because they're not in they're not in charge of their faculties anymore so the bathroom trips the bed sores the you know the losing of the clothes the soiling of oneself the you know the 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 labored breathing or the crazy looks in people's eyes at different points you know you 
you start to see the the deep physicality that is actually much of our existence more than we probably would care to experience on a daily basis because it's a reminder it's a it's a it's a large funhouse mirror when someone's at the end of their existence right or at the end of this life to, to the rest of us who are here to be like oh that's them it's not me but you know, unfortunately, like that happens to everybody. Not everybody breaks down and that not, you know, whatever, but like the end is not exactly um, pretty all the time. And this, the, I don't, I don't know how to say it. Like, it's just a, the physical nature of our existence is inherent in every moment in our existence. And yet we often try and work past it, you know, without giving it the acknowledgement probably that it needs only when it gives us a problem or we're experiencing some kind of pleasure, you know, but like everything else in between is kind of like, I feel good. So I'm just going to be a small, a small man inside of this big robot and driving this thing around. But when it comes time and the, and the robot breaks down, you cannot escape. There's nowhere else to go. Like you're in it, you're inside of it. It is you. You know, it's like Kappa does that too. When he talks about this, you know, in the Dalai Lama school, he just says like, you know, in the, what you'll, the truth of it is like, um, you know, the physical body is not going to keep supporting your spirit forever, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, there's kind of like, that's something to acknowledge, you know, I think they kind of, when they're talking about this issue, they say, well, you know, you'll have the people you love around you, you know, and they'll be an emotional and moral support, but you know, it's like, they can't stop this from happening. Right. And whatever you've accomplished in your life, material success and things like that, you can't take it with you. You know, that's the old saying, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, uh, even your own body, it's just going to be, you know, this thing that you, your spirit's been living in is going to go, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think you're talking about also about that kind of robotic experience where people try to deny the resist the actuality of the body and deny mm -hmm. the actuality of these things. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like two different like points of emphasis to my mind, you know? Sometimes I think people do want to feel themselves just to be like what you're talking about. I'm a little being inside, like a little robot mm -hmm. <laughs> like walking around, you know, uh, uh, and I, this robot's always going to do like, you know, it's always going to be there. <laughs> Ain't, you know, Ain't. but like, I think, you know, from like the, you know, like the, you know, Buddhist Taoisty thing, especially when you have like the spirit kind of existing as a thing, you know, transcending of just the body itself. There's this thing like, yeah, there's some aspect of you that will continue, but this part ain't, mm -hmm. this part's going to go. But I think with my, with my, you know, as I was trying to think of the experiences that I wanted to like share with this, because we're trying to do that, that personal thing about this. Yeah, I had talked about my dad's passing before, and that was a bit more long and drawn out and had a different like uh, spiritual rhythm to it. You know, so I had moments of sitting and meditating with him and, you know, there was sort of uh, spirit to spirit, Shen the Shen, you might say in Chinese culture, mm, Shen and mm -hmm. being the spirit kind of bonding. With my grandpa, it was very fast, you know, not that he wasn't ill, you know, we all knew he was, mm -hmm. but my grandma was traveling. So it wasn't like anyone was thinking that this was the, the end of his life. She right. left, you know, and then the, the whole event was like, how many hours, you know, 48 hours or something. Then, you know, that was it you know, this period of time uh, meant a lot. I mean, he did look at me and he was like, you know, I love you. And that was like, kind of like, I guess his last, as far as I know, his last lucid words. I did like to talk about last week, kind of learning, uh, you know, how to handle that, what I would do as an adult. Like, I didn't think the adults around me were prepared, like what you were talking about. I think they were kind of in denial around that. And they weren't prepared for it. 
and having that experience, I did decide, no, I'm going to always be there when someone important to me is passing. I'll try to be there as much as I can or make sure somebody's there, you know? So that was a kind of a mistake. So um, I was, but, lis- yeah. I, I was listening to, um, to Ram Das yesterday mm-hmm. and there's, um, he gave a funny story. I mean, I can give the story. It doesn't really, you know, fit in here, but whatever. Um, but anyways, at, at the end of his, at the end of this, 15 minute talk or that was the part that I heard um he was talking about sort of the anxiety around death and I wanted to see if we could have a little discussion around this you know and and you know since we'll be talking maybe it's kind of like a good prelude into the 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 Bardo practices Mm -hmm. and awareness you know for next week and so he was talking about this idea that like the the separation the feeling of separation between self and other and universe everything else this is kind of like, this is the deep ignorance, you know, that we've talked about this before on our show, but, you know, we talk about it a million times. Just That's what, you know, people do. I have an interesting thing, because I think Lama Glenn emphasizes that a lot. Yeah. You know, I think of the episodes that we did where someone was coming on and really talking about interconnectivity. Yeah. I think he emphasizes that even more than other people do. But anyways, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that this is a great source of suffering for us as beings, you know, because we're, that, because we don't realize it right? We don't realize this, that, that, that that's not necessarily the case. And, you know, Robert Thurman talks about this, our AKA Bobby T, our, our boy, you know, talks about this, um, you know, self-identification, you know, and, and I was thinking about this last night as I was meditating, actually. And it's even the word I, identification, I, is the starts with me. You know what I'm saying? Like the first letter in that word is, is myself. And, and anyway, what, what Ram Das was saying is that like the, the way through that, is to identify with the soul with the, or what we'll call the soul, the parts of the soul, the Shen, the, you know, sort of, you know, eternal aspects or infinite, well, non-finite. Uh, transcendent or yeah, something. Transcendent yeah, transcendent or non-finite, you know, mm-hmm. aspects of our awareness that- Which would be like uh, Buddha nature or something like that. Yeah. We'll call it that. Clear yeah. light mind. Sometimes yeah. Something like this, you know, or you mean, mean, you know, Western, they call it, you know, your soul, I guess. Yeah. Something like, like it's kind of like when you think of your soul and then we've had this conversation different times too. You don't always think of that as being like a transcendent occupying all space and time. Sometimes like, not. I think people tend to think of it as like a little mini version of themselves or something that like yeah. flies around somewhere. Yeah. You know, to like go hang out with Miggles, the dog, I'd see Miggles, the dog again or something, you know, and that yeah. would be, but not, nah, I don't, that isn't really what's going to happen. Miggles, the dog has moved on. Go Miggles. Go Miggles. <laughs> Do beautiful things. You were a wonderful dog to me. We had wonderful times together. Yeah. I would jump down the stairs and you'd be at the bottom and we'd wrestle on the ground like a couple of wild things. I love you, Miggles the dog. But you know, I want Miggles the dog to journey on. He doesn't yeah. have to get stuck in some heaven forever with me. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and he was so I mean, so his his way through that, through the anxiety of of dying, essentially, of like losing the eye, you know is to identify with the parts that are not finite, that are not limited to just this body, that are not limited to just my identification. You know, of course, we're going <clears> to <throat> we're gonna agree, but I thought we could volley this back and forth um, a bit because I think that's the biggest probably fear around so many different aspects, you know, of the, of the death process itself is losing that part, you know, traveling to somewhere where you can't remember what it is or you've never been before, you know, whatever. Uh, and then having this kind of anxiousness that is residing below many different decisions that we make, 
you know, and I, and I noticed this and, you know, my, my yoga teacher says this all the time and it took me a long time to kind of acknowledge it, but like even people who are practicing yoga, let's say the, the deep pain, sometimes you experience in, in yoga poses, or if you're trying some weird handstand, you know, the fear of death is, the, is, is, is behind all of those things. If you fall and you break your neck, you know, what if you hurt yourself and the, you know, like you go through these things as you're doing different postures um, but that that the fear of no longer existing is just behind the surface. If you just scratch a little bit, you'll find that there. And I, you know, tend to believe that actually. I think there's like kind of two things in that that kind of hit me with that. There's, uh, and you would know better than me because I was never in the service and any of these things. But there's this old movie called Passive Glory. It has, it's like a black and white movie made by Stanley Kubrick, who made like The Shining, you know, uh, Full Metal Jacket you know, these kinds of movies. What's the one? Oh, Eyes Wide Shut, mm. <laughs> Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Uh, anyways, he, you know, if you, if you don't know movie directors, that's him, right? And so it's an older movie and it's about World War I. And the dudes are having this conversation before, you know, they know they're going to have to like charge into the, you know, into the no man's land, mm -hmm. you know, thing. And uh, the next day or something. And they're talking about like kind of two things, the fear of death and the fear of pain, you know? So I think a lot of times there's also that fear of pain with this. They have a, like a long mm. conversation. That's like, how would you want to go if we have to go tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And they're kind of considering like, would you want to go with the mustard gas? Well, no, that would suck. Do you want to be like stuck in the barbed wire? No, that would suck. How about like if a bomb just went off and you were gone and they're like, yeah, that sounds better. And the guy's making the point, like we're afraid of death, but we're also afraid of the pain around it. Mm -hmm. I just want to bring that other little mm -hmm. point up too. Yeah you had real pain in your life and i've had like i had this appendicitis that wasn't diagnosable for years at the time when i was a teenager it's in the tmi episodes that we did mm -hmm. and like it was like real pain and i was like that shit's scary you know so i think it's like that too you're in the yoga pose and pain is scary yeah right and uh, i think it came up with my zen training too i was afraid of like death like you know that's really true i was afraid i was gonna die mm -hmm. and i was also afraid of like the pain I had those like two linked fears. So I just, it occurred to me, like when you're doing any of this training, sometimes it's like that. Sometimes you'll have these moments where, okay, let's look at this fear. The one, the deep one you're talking about, the mortality one. And then there's also the other one. That's kind of like the fear of like, is this going to hurt? Am I going to get, you know, you know, what's this going to be? You know, will I go quick? You know, like those mm -hmm. kinds of things. They're both kind of like sitting there. I think mm -hmm. it's very like kind of normal primordial. All right points of fear or something yeah and then, i guess the idea is like if you tap into the buddha nature more and this was a kind of a spiritual selling point for me like pain changes there is something to that when you tap into the more transcendent parts of yourself pain is different lama glenn and i had a long conversation about this where we were talking about being on like mantra retreats and something weird happens to your mind where you just don't have normal pain experience like it's kind of gone mm. And you're like, well, this is trippy because you, uh, he and I, we talked about this. We're like, you know, that this should really hurt, <laughs> you know, because you're sitting there cross-legged on the floor for hours at a time. You're like, this shit should be painful, but it's not, you know? So I think, I think some of this spiritual training tries to deal with that part too, the fear of pain, the fear of death mm. you know, by tapping into this more transcendent part, but even like the more immediate thing, like the fear of pain, which is very real. There was, and I forgot what, what study, where I, where I heard it. But they were talking about how they were doing this kind of like shock therapy on this dog. 
or these dogs, a dog, one in particular, I can't do this really anymore, but they were shocking this dog. And at first when they shocked him, of course he would, every time they'd come in the room, he'd cower, his tail would, you know, get, the, you know, whatever. And they just continued to do this. I don't remember the length and how long it went or whatever. I'll have to try, I'll try and find it. But the more they did it after some period, I don't know when or how long it took. The dog, after he got shocked, was in a state of euphoria and was like running around, you know. And what they were saying is that they had found a part of the brain that was uh, the part of your pain sensor. And they realized it was it was linked to the pleasure pleasure part of the brain as well. And that once you had moved past some threshold, it, it totally went to the other side, actually. Mm. And so it, it, it can do that, you know, from, you know, shocking, shockingly. <laughs> it's funny because I was just like by Kuinky Dink, just uh, um, in a kind of a community Zoom thing over the weekend. And one of the people participating was more like an SM person. Mm. And she was just like, I guess she didn't talk about that, but you know, kind of talking about exactly, but you know, there's some aspect of that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm not like an SM kind of a person. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I, you know, would like totally get that in terms of the whole sexuality behind it but like yeah i can see that and that, that i think like uh, maybe that happens in these zen things too like my recollection of that too because i had remember one specific moment where i was in like a shit ton of pain like it really hurt mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah if you're gonna do a longer retreat we like to be honest right there's gonna be moments of ecstasy and moments of like unpleasantness mm -hmm. so i was really hurting and then something just flipped it was like boom and something else took over and it was um it was you know like really really pleasant mm -hmm. you know and um i suppose i mean i don't like to talk about like parts of the brain or whether you're tapping into something transcendent of all of this we could debate right but in any case it's subjectively i think i know that experience mm -hmm. i know like anyone who does retreats like that there's this moments of like why am i voluntarily doing this right <laughs> well i'm gonna volunteer but then there's those moments you know and not they're not like just rare it's not like it sucks like 98 percent of the time and then mm -hmm. two percent of the time it's pleasant it's not like that no no but you have moments where like oh this is hard mm -hmm. you know this hurts you know i don't want to hold this posture anymore or whatever you know but the yoga is maybe a little mini version but anyways so okay so there's two parts of that one is like i guess a pain part and one is like a fear of your own mortality part yeah the anxiety over that yeah and the anxiety over like other people too. I mean, how much of that yeah. is like behind the surface of things, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like the answer from like the spiritual traditions that we're trying to represent here is supposed to be something like uh, you find this transcendent part of yourself, mm -hmm. which is strange because it's a harder sell than what you would think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's interesting when you talk with people about it, you're like, yeah, there's this transcendent part of yourself you can tap into. And people are like, eh. <laughs> and you're like, eh why eh? <laughs> that's like a major like that's a major thing <laughs> but it's very interesting i don't know why that i still don't totally know why that is except that they just don't believe it's true i suppose mm -hmm. why do you think that is if the answer is that if the answer to the fear thing like ram das is saying mm -hmm. some transcendent part of yourself that like taps into other things you know just intrinsically why is it a hard sell i think culturally it doesn't exist yeah. in this culture you know, we, we talked about this a couple of different times now, the biological materialistic viewpoint. Mm -hmm. 
And I think we've dissected pretty well over several episodes. Yeah. Um, so like we're in the same space. Like I kind of think that's true too. I just yeah. want to see here. So there is not a, a cultural place for it. There's not a cultural placeholder. I could say that that sort of exists for people to even have in their sort of, I like to use the word lexicon, but you know, in their, in their framework, right. Uh, it's not even there at all, really. There's a lot of resistance to organized religion and even within the organized religion, you know, I, faith is an important part. I, I think, I know, you know, some teachings will have more or less uh, stress on it, but I, I do think you you have to put your faith into something at some point, you know, and then try. So it is an important step along the way. Um, but there is not a whole lot of like reflection, reflecting back into oneself. You know, they don't do that a lot. And so without that kind of drive to find the parts of you that are not always the parts of you that are existing day to day, then there just doesn't really give anybody an opportunity to be in those places, to be in those states, to be observant of those things. And the other part, you know, even from a you know practical standpoint, where are these conversations happening? Where, where would somebody spark this kind of idea to even start to look or ask? Like, when's it going to yeah. happen? Where is it happening? It's not happening in school. It's probably not happening. For m most people, it's not happening at home. So they have to kind of stumble across something, conversations like this, to kind of be like, hey, you know, ding, 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 knock on the screen. Remember me? I'm, I'm inside. Come find me. <laughs> Hello. You know, I know where you that's, are. You yeah, don't know amazing. where I am. There's a reason why we're doing this podcast together because we totally agree on this. I just, yeah. I just wanted to see if you like, I was just trying to see if you'd say the same thing. I just didn't want to say what I thought, you know, and like, I think we feel the same. I think there's some cultural problem around this idea. And I don't even know if you have to like totally believe in it, but just to hear that it like, could be a thing. Just a thing. <laughs> it's at least interesting, you know, yeah. at least to hear that it could be a thing. Yeah. Well, before we have to bounce, I, you know, we're freestyling out. I wanted to like just mention two other things about this experience with my grandpa and I'll just get your feedback on it. And I guess we'll have to bid adieu to the episode. Yeah. One was in the aftermath. I was a teenager and I was pretty angry and like emotionally like shaken by this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say that to people, you know, just, you know, we can all commiserate around that, the normality of that. I remember being in like a English class and we were reading this short story about a man whose mother died. And then he was talking about, you know, like, like going to the cremation place and like watching the body being cremated and talking about this. And, you know, he was writing from adult perspective. I was a teenager, you know, and I think I was just like, that's total bullshit. And I think I said it in those words, like in the class. I don't think the teacher knew what to do with me because I think she was like, okay, this kid, he has issues. <laughs> but I think I just said like, I was like really upset. And I was like, because I had just been through this thing. And I was just like, whatever he's talking about is bullshit. Cause I just been through this. That's total bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that was my response. And I could just remember like the volatility of those emotions. And I don't know, I thought I would just mention it because we all have gone through these things and it's mm -hmm. something we can commiserate on. I just remember like how that, how on the raw and on the surface that was. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing I wanted to kind of close with was, you know, my grandpa was a quirky person, definitely no one's moral role model. <laughs> drank a lot, was like a fuck boy before there were fuck boys, fuck boy <laughs> circa 1926 or whatever. Yeah. Like he was like a wild character. Definitely not like a, like a, uh, like a, a solid, uh, you know, uh, like a family man, you know, dude, no, 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 no. Worked in a steel mill, worked in a rough life and was wild. 
and you know, in a, in a, in a, in a bit of a trouble for everyone. So with his passing, it was like one of these weird things of like, okay, this very complicated person has passed away. You know, my dad was a very complicated person too. So it was like dealing with like that complexity of someone passing. Mm -hmm. But one of the other, like I was thinking, like, what are the other memories around this? I thought maybe I would just share with us and we could talk brief. Like when he did pass, he, he enjoyed his life. Now, would I like want to use his life as an exemplar of how to enjoy your life? I would say no, <laughs> mm. but like he enjoyed himself and like in the community around me, I'll throw out the George Saunders thing because he and I did talk about this a little bit, the writer George Saunders, he and I sent emails back and forth at one point about growing up in the same hometown. And he said there were people who were either like despondently struggling through on a daily basis and he writes about these characters, which I know very well because I knew those people. Or he talked about people who were involved in manic happy drinking. <laughs> My mm. grandpa was in the manic happy drinking class of people. But he enjoyed his life. You know, his name was Felix, Feliz, happy. And he was happy. And I remember thinking, okay, what am I going to take out of this? And I thought, well, okay, for my grandpa, what I can do is I can try to be a happy person. I took that away. Maybe not in the way he was going to be happy, but like he was a happy person and he like brought that feeling of like happiness. And I thought, okay, I'll take that. And I, I had like a poster. I don't know what it was. It might've been like Prince or some shit like that, <laughs> like in my room, you know, like uh, some, whatever it was. So I like, I think I took down the poster and I wrote. In, in like pencil, like, okay, like something like, I'm going to be happy for my grandpa. And I wrote down the date and then I put the poster back up in front of it. And it was sort of like my way of saying, okay, this is what I got from you. You know, this is what I've like drawn as my thing. And I think it like just stayed up there for a long time. I don't think even anyone who was there, I think probably like it got painted over at some point once I moved out or something like that. My parents' house. But I just wanted to share that too, because I think there was something powerful for me in saying, okay, this person is gone. I'm never going to see them again. Mm -hmm. what, but what, it was like sort of like my way of honoring him, if that makes sense. It was like, mm -hmm. what can I do to honor this person? What did they bring to me? What was like the moral of their story in a way? And the moral of his story to me was like, you know, be a happy person. So even yeah. like in my search for spirituality, I tried to find spiritualities that were cheery. Like I've, I've always kind of thought that like people live on through the minds and hearts of those whom carry them you know mm -hmm. like that's their that's the that's part of the afterlife you know it's very like shamanic a, of you too that's i think that's almost like a shamanic idea i think right yeah i've had this for a very long time you mm -hmm. know like that this is this is how people are carried forward that there's some aspect of our you know whatever cloud-based <laughs> uh, existence that there's one level where people are this, this the spirits of people their actions their all the energy of their life right their deeds their actions their words their beings live on within the people who know them you know or who find out about them through their writing or through their music or through whatever you know and that that stays on that actually never it never goes away because then those people influence you and then you influence other people. So like, the, the, it's kind of the, like a pay it forward thing or something, right? Yeah. Like the water from the, the stream, it, even in the middle of the ocean is still the water that started at the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so for me, it was like, I'm, I don't, I don't know what that would have been like with the other people he came from or how it would like transmitted down maybe to my kids. But there was this moment like that was like, it was ritualistic in a way too. So I don't know if this is going to work for anybody else. I'm just throwing it out there or something. If you have had a loss like this, it was a very like, you know, like we're talking about like strong memories 
of those things. I remember very specifically, it was this strong memory of like in the agitation of the person being gone, the mourning, the grief, the internal mm -hmm. turmoil of that. I was like, what's the cutting through to like, what's the main thing about this for me? And it cut, it cut to that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I was sick and I was like, uh, you know, kind of a troubled kid and, you mm -hmm. know, like when you're sick and whatever, I had like, you know, I was depressed and sick and fucked up. You know, there was just, it was a hard period of time, but there was something about like the message I got from him was like, you know, no, turn this shit around and enjoy your life. Mm -hmm. You know, the enjoyment part. And so that was it. And that was like, kind of like, it was a ritualistic moment of like writing down on the wall and saying, okay, I'm devoting it like to this time and this circumstance to do this thing. If that works for anybody else, you know, there's a moment in my life that like, you know, when those kind of intuitive moments in your life were like, hey, yeah, that worked, that meant something. Mm -hmm. And I did feel, I, I did feel like the time went on. I was like, well, you know, I can't go and be too bummed out of a human. Like I'll be letting him down. <laughs> yeah. I hear that. yeah. I can't do exactly what he, uh, can't do exactly what he did. <laughs> do the underlying intention, not what he did. But, right. You know. mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyways, I thought I didn't like that thing. Positive note to end on, right? Positive note to end on. I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Using, using death as a reminder or as a source of uh, inspiration. Yeah very personal in this one like cause, cause a little trouble not that much trouble yeah well, <laughs> isn't a little that, trouble enjoy your life be yourself it, you know isn't that like isn't that like breathing the breathing cycle expiration followed by inspiration you know something like that it could be true mm -hmm. yeah. okay the trees are the earth's lungs eric i know you like that one <laughs> that was last week yeah it's the, still true the breath is a metaphor for all of human life yeah that's <laughs> so true daniel life is a circle <laughs> <laughs> you breathe in you hold you breathe out yeah yeah all right eric all right. well as always thank Thanks you so much. much for uh popping in and doing this uh definitely want to say thank you to our audience you know however many hundreds hundreds of thousands are remaining uh, uh <laughs> we definitely want to say thank you to everybody for tuning in always um you know as always like subscribe share if you're checking us out on apple leave us a review it definitely helps the show kind of grow um you know if you're watching us on youtube like comment subscribe all the things that the youtube people are supposed to say in order to gain traction in the ever-changing and infamous algorithm hello algorithm you're watching okay cool uh you know we, we do these things because we enjoy we have the conversation these are things that we think about and, and hopefully as we said in the in a you know filming of this passing along this, this information is something that we are very passionate about actually it's it's a pastime but it's a it's a passion you know really and truly calling yeah. or something yeah 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 and yeah we we hear from people and like uh and you know the people yeah you it means something to all of us if you're listening you're talking we're all you know we're connecting in this way it means something kind of yeah people. absolutely yeah as always my friend thank you thank you thank you everybody for tuning in for eric this is daniel we'll catch you in the next one peace Together. I want you to get together.